The following is a message from Pastor Ellis Orozco of First Baptist Richardson. For more information, please visit fbcr.org. Amen. Redeemed. That's the gospel story that we are redeemed by God. It's a great morning. Thanks for worshiping with us this morning. If you're joining us online, we're so thankful that you're a part of our worship time this morning. I pray that God has already blessed you and will continue to bless you as we go to his word. So let's look together in Genesis chapter 12. Uh, we are in that section of scripture in our well readings. If you're not part of the well Bible reading journey, I want to encourage you to become a part of that. Uh, you can get the, the journal out in the lobby at the welcome desk. But we are reading together as a church every uh, day the same passages, one chapter a day, five days a week, uh, using the weekend to reflect on what we've learned. And so I'm preaching today on one of the readings that you read this last week. If you're in the well with us, Genesis chapter 12. We're talking about transformation, the kind of transformation God wants to bring into our lives. We want to be a church full of people who are bringing healing and wholeness to our community and beyond, even as we are being transformed by Jesus. And this last year, we encouraged you to find that transforming power of Jesus by going to his word together as a church every, every single day. This year, we're asking you to take it one step further in that vision of being a people who bring healing and wholeness to our community. That will never happen unless we go into our community. So we are challenging each other this year to make one new friend in the community every month. One new friend. Now, for some of you, that will be very easy because you're making friends all the time. You know who I'm talking about. But for others of us who are a little more introverted, it may be more difficult. But we want to take you outside of your comfort zone this year. We want to ask you to just push yourself just a little bit in the name of Jesus that you will begin to meet people out in that community. And who knows that God might not use you to transform their lives. And so that's, that's what we're looking at today. And so we want to look at Genesis chapter 12. And the power of that transformation as we see it happening in the life of one human being named Abram. So let's look together. Genesis chapter 12, beginning with verse 1. I'll read the first seven verses. This is what the word of God says. The Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarah, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated, and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Moreh at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. And the Lord blessed the reading of his word. This is a big moment in human history. We've we've experienced these moments. There are certain moments, seminal moments, that change everything, aren't there? There are moments, sometimes you don't know it when you're going through it. It's only in retrospect that you see that it was a, for you, a life-changing, transforming moment, that life was different after this particular moment. I remember the, the time my mom came crying into the room. I was a little boy. I was very young, but I remember the tears. My mom came into the room crying to, let, to tell me that Martin Luther King Jr. had been killed 
And I remember that moment. I remember the tears. I was too little to understand the full weight of it. I, don't, I didn't know exactly what it meant. I knew that it was bad. But looking back on it in retrospect, that was one of those kind of life-changing moments. Another one with my family sitting around the little television set, the only one in the neighborhood. I think my uncle had it. And we went over there to watch the, the lunar landing, right? To watch that happen. And I was, I was a kid. I didn't really know the power of that moment, the, the, the massive impact of that moment, how it would change lives for forever, technology for forever. You, you've had them. We've all had them. Some of them are personal. I remember my grandfather when I was 12 years old, my grandfather dying. My grandfather was one of my best friends when I was 12 years old and he died. And I remember going through it. I remember thinking this is, this changes everything. A year later, watching my father as an adult get baptized in the little church that I grew up in and watching him get baptized and knowing, even in the moment as a 13-year-old, knowing this is changing everything. We all have those moments, don't we? You have yours. Name them. Think about them. What are they for you? Those moments that in some ways changed the trajectory of your life, transformed your life in some profound way. Way So we have one of those moments right here in Genesis chapter 12. And it's a moment like that, not only for Abram, but for for the entire world. Uh, God is going to change everything in Genesis chapter 12. And it all hinges on what he is promising to do with this one human being named Abram. Nothing special about him. There's nothing special about him that we know of. He, He wasn't even the eldest in his family. His father, Terah, had three sons. Uh, Haran, Nahor, and Abram. Abram was the youngest. He, there was nothing particularly special about him, nor special about his father necessarily, Terah. We don't, we don't know anything that, that made them stand out, but God somehow just plucked this one man out of the sea of humanity and said that he was going to do something very special through him. And it was this life-changing moment, this world-changing moment, this universe-changing Moments as the world goes from polytheism to monotheism. And so I want to look at that moment. And I want to just take a step back first. And because I want to set this up for you, I want you to feel the power of God's transformation in this moment in this one human being named Abram. It was a powerful moment. So let's take a step back. The story of, in the Bible from, at this point, up to this point, has been about one thing. And it has been about the utter and complete and total failure of human beings to know and understand and follow God. That's, that's basically the story of the Bible up to this point. The complete and total failure of human beings to know and understand and follow God. Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, right? And, and they have everything they need. They have everything they could possibly want. Everything is coming easy to them. They can do anything they want except this one tree in the garden that they are not to take the fruit of. And the serpent comes and he says, did God really say, are you kidding? God didn't really mean that. And they start to question, well, maybe God has ulterior motives. And so they fall for it. Did they not know God? Did they not understand who this God was, that he's a loving God, an unconditional loving God? But they doubted. And they took it. See, this, this failure to know and understand God and, and to follow him. How are you going to follow him if you don't know him, if you don't understand him? And then the next scene is Cain and Abel. Right? And Cain killing his brother Abel in this fit of, of jealous rage. He kills his brother. And God comes to Cain and says, where is your brother Abel? And Cain says, why are you asking me, right? Are you kidding me? Does he not know who he's talking to? Does this Cain not know God? Does he not understand? God knows where the brother is. Of course he does. God knows everything. But Cain seems clueless about this. 
Like, like he can get away with something with God. Do you not know God? How are you going to follow him if you don't know him and understand him? And then as people propagate over the face of the earth, you come to the time of Noah. We talked about Noah last week, right? And Noah, Noah in, in, in his ark. And it tells us in Genesis chapter 6 verse 5. It describes what life was like when Noah was alive. And this is what it says. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. Can you imagine a world like that? Can you imagine a world where every single person on the face of the earth is doing nothing but sitting around all day thinking about how to do evil, thinking about how to get one over on you, thinking about how to make themselves great All day long, every person on the earth is only thinking about evil. That's a horrible, horrible world. I would never want to live in that world. Well, God takes care of it with the flood. They didn't know and they didn't understand God. How were they going to follow him? And then again, people begin to propagate over the face of the earth. It's a start over, a reset with Noah. But the end doesn't seem to get any better because they come to the Tower of Babel and they're building this tower. They want to touch the face of God. They want to know God. They want to... They want to feel God. They want to be like God. They want to be God. Right? So God confuses them. Do they not know that they can never be God? Do they not understand? How are you ever going to follow him if you don't know and understand him? So that the story of the Bible all the way up to Genesis chapter 12 has been about the total complete failure of human beings to get it. To know God and to understand him and therefore to follow him. And then we come to this moment in Genesis chapter 12. This life-changing moment. right? Because what happens, what happens when you're a, a culture and society that hungers to be God, to touch him, to see him. When, when you're living like that and, and, and this insatiable desire, if that desire is not fulfilled... If it is not satiated, if you don't find God, then, then one of two things happens. You do one of two things. This is over and over and over again. You either set yourself up to be God, your own little God, doing things the way you want to do them, making the rules for yourself, doing as you please, whenever you please. I did it my way. That's called humanism. Putting mankind at the center of the universe and making us all our own little gods. It's either that, or we create all of these little idols that we cling to for comfort so we can feel like we're touching God. That's called polytheism or idolatry. So it's either humanism or polytheism. Those are the two things we run to to find, to find comfort, to find peace, to feel at least like we're, like we're touching God, right? Like we're touching him. We, we criticize other countries about being, you know, atheistic or whatever, but we have to take a hard look at ourselves. We live in a polytheistic, humanistic culture society. We have, we have created thousands of little gods that we cling to, polytheistic. We have placed over and over again ourselves at the center of the universe, my life, my rights, my, my way, my rules. Humanism, this is the world we live in. This is the world we live in. And what a polytheistic, humanistic culture needs is transformation. It needs powerful, powerful spiritual transformation. So we look at Abraham and he lived in that same world. He lived in the polytheistic world. 
He lived in a polytheistic family. Judging by the way they named their children, Terah, his father, that family, they were probably worshipped the moon and the constellations, uh, which was a popular form of worship or religion in Mesopotamia at that area, that, that part of the world where, when he was living. So that's probably was his background. He came from a polytheistic world, the polytheistic family, and God does something. God does something. Now, it starts with his father, Terah, because God, God seems to do something with Terah. Terah decides he's going to leave the place where they live, southern Mesopotamia, Ur of the Chaldees. It was modern-day Kuwait, that area. And they're, they're from there, and they're going to leave there to go to Canaan, to go to the, what we now call the Promised Land. That's where Terah wants to go. He wants to go to Canaan. Now, right before he leaves, his eldest son, Haran, dies. Maybe that has something to do with it. Maybe he can't stay there anymore. Maybe the grief is too great. I don't know. But he picks up and he leaves. And he's headed for Canaan. But halfway there he stops. And he plants. He stops moving. He stops going. And he names the village where his family, they stop by the Tigris River and they create this little village. And he names it Haran. After the dead son. He's stuck. He can't get past it. And as far as we know, as far as we know, Terah, the one who first left Ur the Chaldees to go to Canaan, Terah never makes it to the promised land. He never makes it to Canaan. Because it's hard. It's hard to let go of all the things that have brought you comfort. It's hard to let go of all the things that have, that have helped you along the way. It's hard, it's hard to, to let go. This transformation that happens, it's powerful, but it's hard. Tara couldn't let go. He couldn't keep going. The transformation that God wants to bring to your life is powerful, but sometimes there's nothing about it that's easy. I met a man last week. Spent a couple of hours in my office. Fascinating man. Uh, he had been with us in church and he wanted to talk to me, so we talked and it was amazing. I could have listened to him for hours. He's from Russia and um, he, um, he's a Christian. But uh, he told me his story that from the time he was fairly young, he always wanted to be in the KGB. And this was 50 years ago. At the age of 15, he wants to be in the KGB and so eventually he does. He joins the KGB uh, he becomes a KGB agent. Uh, his family's KGB. His, he marries his wife. Her, her, da- her father is a KGB agent. So he rises up through the ranks of the KGB and he becomes his KGB agent. One day, his daughter, she's little, little daughter, comes home from school and says, I have a new friend at school. He says, oh, really? Who, who is she? And he says, well, her parents are Christian missionaries from the United States. And this, of course, alarmed him because he said in the KGB, they believed that all Christian missionaries were spies. So he decides to spy on this family. And they want to learn Russian, so his wife teaches Russian. So he has his wife go over to their house, and he takes her. And he sits there while she gives them Russian lessons. But he's spying. He's listening. He's looking for something to get them on. And he says, but the problem is that for six months, three times a week, he goes over to their house to teach them Russian, his wife. And he's sitting there listening. He says, all they talk about is God. They didn't talk about politics. They didn't talk about the state. They didn't talk. They just talked about it. And all they wanted her to teach them was how to say 
For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son so that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And all they wanted him to teach him was God is love. And God loves you. These were the words, the phrases they were asking her to teach them. And they, gave, they wanted her to teach them from the Bible, how to say things from the Bible. So she had to read the Bible to them. And they gave her a Russian Bible. They gave him a Russian Bible. And he said after six months, he got so fed up, he accepted the Lord, right? <laughs> he was there to spy on them. But he began to believe that maybe there is something to this. And he said it was while he was reading the word that he saw a vision of Jesus who was standing over him and Jesus pouring his spirit into him and he accepted Jesus in that moment. And when he went home, as soon as he walked through the door, his wife asked him, what's wrong with you? And he said, what do you mean what's wrong with me? She said, there's something wrong with you. He said, no, there's nothing wrong with you. What are you talking about? She said, you're smiling. And he said he realized he had never smiled because KGB agents don't smile. She had never seen her father smile. She had never seen her husband smile. And he says, and Jesus made him smile. And she knew. So he had no choice but to tell her, I just accepted Jesus. And then she confessed to him that she had accepted Jesus six months before. But she was afraid to tell him because he's a KGB agent. Right? And he's in the KGB and he can't leave. He's a Christian now. He's a Christian now, but he's, he said, he told me that in those days, things have changed, but he said in those days, there were only two ways to leave the KGB. You either went crazy or you dropped dead. Those are the only two ways to leave the KGB. And he, he wasn't particularly fond of either idea. So he stayed in the KGB. He's a Christian, but he has to keep it a secret because he's in the KGB. Sometimes when God brings transformation to your life, it's powerful. Make no mistake about it. It is powerful, but it's not always easy. In fact, sometimes there's nothing easy about it. Look at, look at Genesis chapter 12 again. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. I want, I want, you to read, I want us to read that again. Something very critical there, and this is what it says. <clears throat> the Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. Did you catch that? It's the past tense. The Lord had said to Abram. When we meet Abram in in Genesis chapter 12, and this is the first time we meet him. When we meet him, he's already been living with this call. What it says in Genesis chapter 12 verse 1 as it introduces Abram to us, it says, The Lord had already been calling Abram. Go to the land I will show you. How long? We don't know. But at some time before we meet him in Genesis chapter 12, Abram got the call. He had been living with this call for a while. How long? We don't know. But he had it where God came to him at some point and said, I want you to go to the land of Canaan. I'm going to give it to you. And Abram says, I know, I know. My father is tired. My father is weary. He doesn't want to keep moving. And God says to him, well, you, I want you to go. You, you go. Leave your father. Leave your, leave your extended family. Leave your country. Leave everything and go. I want you to go. And he says, I, I can't. I don't know the way. My father's already lost one son. I don't know if he can handle losing a second son. I don't, I don't think I can do it. And God says to him, don't worry about your father. Don't worry about the way. As you go, I will show you. I promise you, I won't let you get lost. You just go. You see, when we meet him in Genesis chapter 12, he's already been wrestling with this for a while because it's hard. It's hard to let go of the things that we've 
come to cling to, the things we've come to depend on, the things that have brought us comfort, the things that we have used to anesthetize the real pain that we are feeling, real pain that life has brought. And the pain is real. And we use these things to anesthetize the pain, drugs, alcohol, sex, money, autonomy, on and on and on. You can go. These are the things. They're lies. Well, of course they're lies. Yes, they're lies, but they're soothing lies. They're comforting lies. They're convenient lies. They're helpful lies. That's what polytheism and atheism and humanism are. They are soothing, comforting lies that make you feel like you're in control of things, but you're not. You're not in control of things. God is in control of things. And this is the point of the story. Don't believe the lies. Don't believe the lies. God is in control. But it's hard. It's hard to let go of those things. Terah couldn't let go. He couldn't keep going. It was too hard. So Terah never saw the promised land. But his son Abram did. And what does he do? He leaves his father. He leaves his mother. He leaves his extended family. He leaves the comfort of the village. He leaves, he leaves the, his, his country. He leaves his religion. He leaves everything behind to follow God to this place that he's going to show him. And what does he get in return for that? He gets complete and total transformation of his life, but not just for him, not just for him, but for the entire world. Because inside the promise that God makes to Abraham is the salvation of the world. Inside the covenant that God makes with Abraham, your descendants will be like the stars in the night sky. They will be like all the grains of sand on all the beaches of the earth. That will be your your impact. Your impact will be eternal. Inside that promise is Jesus. Inside the seed of Abraham is Jesus. Inside that covenant is the salvation of the world. That That's what happens. I want you to see the power of this transformation when Abram is willing to go. There are some decisions you make in your life that will completely change the trajectory of your life. You can look back at the span of your life. I bet you, and you can point at them, can't you? Those decisions that you made where you were going this way, and because you made that decision, now you're going this way. They change the trajectory of your life completely. My friend from Russia that I was telling you about, So he and his wife now are baby Christians. And he's still working for the KGB. He can't get out of that. So they're secret Christians. They don't know what to do. And so they decide to do what they saw their missionary friends doing. They decide to sit at their kitchen table and read the word of God every day together. They start in Matthew and they start reading the scriptures. When they get to the book of Acts, they see that when people became Christians, they would start churches. So they say, oh, that's what we'll do. We'll start a church. They just followed the Bible. You know, it's not complicated. You just have to follow what it says. And that's what they did. So they started a church. They started a church in Moscow. Here this kid who dreamed, his big dream was to be a KGB agent. He began to live his dream. By the way, he says the KGB pays way more than you can make anywhere else. Five times what you would make anywhere else. And so he's living the dream, right? And now suddenly, the trajectory of his life has completely changed. Now suddenly, he's still working for the KGB, but his dream is to start a church. And he starts a church right there in Moscow. He's still in the KGB. And he's a pastor of a church. There are some decisions that completely change the trajectory of your life. Just look at Abram. He arrives at the promised land. He gets to the promised land. And there are people in the land called Canaanites. Go figure, right? 
and they're well established and they're well entrenched and they're well armed. And Abram's thinking, I'm never, this, these people are here. They're, they're, they're not going anywhere. But he stops at the tree of Moreh at Shechem. And he builds an altar there to worship God, to thank God for getting him there safely and for showing him the land. He builds an altar there. And in verse 7, look at what it says in verse 7. It says this, the Lord appeared to Abram. He's at the tree of Moreh in Shechem. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. Now, I don't want you to miss it because it's a throwaway line, but it's used twice in the scripture. The scripture doesn't want you to miss it. Anytime it's word is used twice, it becomes very important. And the word, the Hebrew word is ra'ah. It will eventually become one of the names of God, ra'ael, the God who sees. Ra'a is to see or to make one seen, to make oneself seen, to make oneself visible. My Bible says the Lord appeared. And it's the first time in scripture, the first time in all of Genesis, the first time in scripture where it says explicitly that the Lord appeared to a human being. It's the first time in scripture where it uses the word ra'a of God appearing to human being here in the promised land. After he has fulfilled the commandment and he has obeyed God, God makes himself visible to Abram in a way that he had not done with any other human being since the garden of Eden. Do you understand the power of that? God makes himself visible to Abram in a way he hadn't with any other human being up to that point in time he appears to him and in some way fashion or form Abram sees God and in that moment when he sees him everything is transformed and he gives him this crazy unimaginable impossible ludicrous ridiculous vision see there's a vision within seeing that and the vision is this he says to him Your descendants will be like the stars in the night sky. They will be as numerous as all the grains of sand on all the beaches of the earth. And you will be a blessing to all people. And through your descendants, through your children and grandchildren, great-grandchildren, great-great-great-grandchildren, through them, I will change the world. What is that? Abram's going, that's impossible. Why is it impossible? Because Abram is 75 years old. And his wife is 65 years old. They're well past the childbearing ages, right? And so Abram's looking at this promise and he's saying, are you kidding me? Do you have the right guy? Have you seen my wife? She's beautiful, but she's 65 and she can't have children anymore, right? But God is in the business of making himself visible to you, making himself felt, making himself seen. He's in the business of making himself seen to you. And when he is seen to you, he is in the business of giving you impossible ridiculous, ludicrously impossible dreams and visions, and then he makes them happen. Amen? That's the power of his transformation. That's what you're bringing to people. This, this year, as you make a new friend every month and you seek to, to share Jesus with them in some way, this is what you're bringing to them. This is the power that you're bringing to them. I don't want you to forget the good you're doing for them, the power you are bringing to them to completely change their lives and to give them a new vision for their life. So my friend from Russia, um, it's a long story. I don't have time to go into it, but he gets out of the KGB and he becomes a full-time pastor. Things open up in Russia over the last 50, 60 years and he's able to do much more and he's actually been so blessed. He was telling me, 
and this is, he was telling me, uh, that the KGB during its darkest days, um, when they were trying to purge Russia of all religion, um, trying to make communism their religion, he says that the KGB executed, killed 200,000 Christian pastors. 200,000. And that they destroyed, literally, knocked down, destroyed 40,000 churches, church buildings, leveled them to the ground. And that they either executed or imprisoned over half a million Christians during the darkest days. This is the organization that he loved, that he had, had given his life to as a kid. Right? He says, now, his vision, the vision God has given him, is a vision of replacement. So the vision for his life now, with Jesus, is to train up 200,000 new pastors to replace the 200,000 that they killed. And to start 40,000 churches to replace the ones that they destroyed. And to win ultimately half a million people to Jesus to replace the ones who were crushed. And looking into his eyes as he shared that vision with me, I have no doubt, no doubt whatsoever that God is going to do it through his ministry. Because that's the God we serve. That's the kind of powerful transformation God gives us. And the vision inside the transformation is beyond our wildest dreams. And he is in the business of making that happen. Amen? Father, I just thank you for today, for all you give us. For all your blessings, all your goodness, all your grace. Father, you are... You are good beyond our wildest dreams. You are powerful beyond our wildest imagination. And we know in our hearts that you have the power to transform lives and to transform cities and nations and people. And we pray about that that transformation. We pray it not just for our nation, not just for our city, not just for our our neighborhood, not just for our church. We pray it for for each one of us, ourselves, personally, our own personal lives. It starts there. Father, we pray that you would bring your transforming power into our lives, change us forever, help us to live for you every day. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.